Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Memory Lane. I am your host, Noah Hiles, and joining us on the show today, like I've said before, like I always say when we open the show, we've had Steelers, we've had Penguins, we've had Pirates, we've had Pitt Panthers. Actually, this is the first time we've had multiple. Uh, we've had a crossover. We have a former Steeler and Pitt Panther, Doran Dickerson, joins the show. Doran, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, can't complain. It's Friday. Uh, just ready for the weekend and watching some sports, man. You know, like, like it's awesome to have football back, and we just hope to continue to do things that's necessary to make sure we can continue to watch football. So I'm happy that uh, I'm able to watch my Saturdays and Sundays watching football. I completely agree. I, I mean, I, I sports in 2020 have been weird, but just to have everything back and to have everything back at once has been great. And now that things are wrapping up, you know, I just want to make sure football can stick around now that it's going to be the only one there. So you uh, you played a little bit of football in your day. I figure that's what we'll talk about here on today's show. Um, we're going to start from the beginning. Uh, growing up in Western Pennsylvania, every you know year or two, there's the guy you know in, in the Whippeal that you hear about. And as someone who's probably you know eight or nine years younger than you, you were probably the first guy that I can remember in the Whippeal, just hearing about Doran Dickerson and what you were doing at West Allegheny. Your resume is very impressive. I wanted to ask you uh, to start things off. What, what's it like to be that high-profile high school athlete in Western Pennsylvania, a place that's produced so much NFL talent, college greats, high school All-Americans even? What's it like when all the eyes are on you? Uh, I mean, it's it's – Something that, you know, not everybody can handle it. And I always say this about anything. Not everybody can handle power. Not everybody can handle success. But thank goodness for my parents, um, for Bob Palco, my teachers, you know, the the adults that I was surrounded with, my community at West Allegheny, um, you know, they helped me out a lot in keeping me humble and teaching me how to do things and how to handle uh, certain, certain situations. I mean, being around a guy like Bob Palco, you know, every day and having him coach me. I mean, he was like a second dad to me. Uh, he raised Tyler and Tyler Palco went through that, you know, four years before I did. So he kind of knew the nuances of how to treat a high profile player that is, you know, that that's on his team and, you know, not treat me the same as Tyler, but let me be me and let me do my thing. But also there's that foundation of, all right, well, you have to handle things this way. You can't do this. You can't do that. You you know, you have to be respectful to people. You have to treat people um, the way that you want to be treated. So uh, I think I was very fortunate to have a lot of people around me that, uh, you know, add to my success. Like I said, my parents, you know, brought me up right. They treated me, you know, what's, you know, they taught me what's right, what's wrong. Um, you know, those little things have carried me to, you know, being a 32 year old man now. And it is, it is tough to live up to whenever you're young and, you know, you have this name and you built this resume. And I tell people, I was like, man, you know, I, I seen so much stuff when I was 15, 16 years old. I mean, it, that probably nobody will ever see in their life, you know, being treated a certain way, going to the mall and having grown people ask for your autograph and ask for pictures. You know, this is way before, uh, this is way before uh, iPhones. So people would actually have like the cameras and take pictures wherever <laughs> I would go to like Robinson mall and stuff. So, um, no, it's just you have to stay grounded and you you have to know that you have to treat people with respect because that will come back and that will carry you a long way in life. And and football is a sport. 
You know, it really is at the end of the day. And it, I was just blessed to be able to do it. I was blessed to be able to have the mindset and the work ethic to be able to carry my career uh, through college and through the NFL. So, you know, that whole structure of whenever I was younger is huge and in the success I had from high school, college and pro, because, you know, mindset wise, I was always, always in it. There's no matter what. I don't care if you're better than me. I don't care if you're more athletic than I was. Mindset wise, I was always in it and I always had a chance to win. So I, I just and I have to thank like all those people that I just mentioned that, uh, you know, were uh, helpful to my success at a young age. You mentioned Tyler Palco. How helpful was it? Uh, and you kind of hinted at it already. But how helpful was it to see a guy who was right before you had all that hype, had all that attention, had all that success? He kind of like, I don't want to say laid a blueprint, but basically was there to be an example and saying, this is how you do handle things. And to have that coach as well and his dad that could keep you under control if you ever got a little crazy. It, I mean, it was that? It, it was huge having Tyler, uh, you know, I mean, and obviously him committing to Pitt, being around a lot. Um, you know, Tyler was a guy that not many people would ever challenge me and not many people would ever get in my, you know what, if I need it. But Tyler had no problem with getting in my butt if I needed to while he was at Pitt, while I was in high school. I'll never forget. It was my junior year. It was the first game of the year. And, you know, I was expected to be this athlete. I wasn't, you know, a big time player yet, but I was expected to do good things. And he saw me. It was halftime. It was real hot. He saw me with my head down. Tyler was there. He's on the sidelines. Um, and he just dog cussed me. You know, dog cussed me. He's like, bleep, you know, I mean, how Tyler is. We we know Tyler likes to swear sometimes. So, uh, yeah, he dog cussed me. And I remember just, like, looking at him. I'm like, man, if Tyler's saying that, I better step it up. And ever since then, you know, he would reach out to me and, and tell me what I was doing good, tell me what I was doing bad. And I needed that. You know, I needed somebody to get in my butt that, uh, you know, had been there, had been successful, and is playing college football down the road. So having Tyler, uh, he's, he taught me how to treat my body well. He taught me taught me how to eat well. He taught me how to train. Uh, he would bring me down to pit, and I'd watch film with him. He taught me how to look at defenses while I was in high school. So, I mean, Tyler was a, a integral part to my success, too, in high school because you know, I was advanced. Everything, you know, I was a little bit ahead of everybody else because I had somebody like him. So, uh, it's very big to have something like that in your corner. And, you know, obviously Tyler's, uh, you know, super successful in everything he has done. So, you know, I'm very fortunate for him. So in high school and in college, really, which we're going to get to later, you didn't really have one position. You kind of played all over the field. Uh, I, I looked at your numbers. You had crazy receiving stats. You had crazy rushing stats. You even had some passing stats. You played on defense, special teams everywhere. Um, did you enjoy doing that? Did you enjoy just kind of being like the Swiss Army knife? Or were there, were there ever times where you just kind of wanted to be in one spot and do one thing? Uh, and maybe in hindsight, a little bit, I, I probably should have picked. And, you know, if I have one regret of my whole entire career, I probably should have came out and been a running back. Um, I, I'll say that and I'll say that forever. You know, I should have picked the running back position because I felt like that was where I was most comfortable. But growing up, I mean, my family, you know, they're they're a big football family. My uncle, Ron Dickerson, was one of the first uh, African-American head coaches at Temple, coached at Pitt, Penn State. My cousin played in the NFL. I have two cousins in the NFL now. Uh, my dad was a high school coach for 30 years. And my dad always told me when I was growing up, he was like, I don't want you to be good at one thing. I want you to be good at everything and know everything just in case you know, they need to put you somewhere or, you know, you could cause a mismatch somewhere. And he kind of developed me as, as a young kid to be able to catch a football, to be able to 
run like a running back, to be able to think like a linebacker when I was on defense, to be able to field punts and 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 do every single thing um, within the football game, obviously not offensive line because I wasn't built that way. But my dad really, uh, you know, shaped my mind of, you know, you're going to do everything. I don't want you to just pigeonhole yourself to one position. So I, I ultimately liked it. And I, I like doing it now. It's transitioned into like the business world because I don't like just doing one thing. I like to bounce around, do different things, business, you know, political, radio, sports radio, TV. I like doing a bunch of things, not just being pigeonholed to one thing. But um, yeah, I, I, I love that throughout my career, even in the NFL. I mean, I played receiver. I got drafted as a receiver. Then I got moved to tight end. Then I played some fullbacks. I played three positions in the NFL too. So uh, I, I liked being that guy that you could count on or uh, be a mismatch problem for anybody. And like I said, I, I kind of carry that into the business world now. Were, were you a Cordell Stewart fan growing up? Did you? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Did you view oh, maybe maybe you're like the grittier version of Slash? You ever think of that? Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember the first time I met him. They had like a signing. I don't even know how it was. I was probably in fifth grade. And they had like one of those signings that you could go meet Cordell. And I, th- I think the other guy was name was uh, Chris. Corey Fuller or something like that. And I remember just looking at Cordell being like, wow, like that's the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers, just in awe, you know? And I was like, man, I remember thinking, I was like, I need to be there one day. I need to get to that point where people are lining up to see me and I get to talk to people and take pictures with people. So like, you know, that I'll never forget that. Go, I don't even know where we were at. We probably had some like Kmart or something. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting there at the table and I was like, in just in such awe of just, who he was and how he carried himself. He was so nice and generous. Like it was just awesome. So I used to tune in. You had a short run on a, on a podcast with Josh Miller, one of uh, your former coworkers. Um, and I used to tune into that. That was an entertaining show. Um, and I remember one episode, you, you made quite a statement. You said, you think if you would have committed entirely to playing hockey, that you think you could have had a chance to be a pro hockey player. I want I want you to back up that claim or put a little bit more of a, I guess, context on what you're talking about there. Well, I mean, people don't know. So I, I grew up in Walden Woods. It's in it's in West Allegheny. And across the street from me was a kid my age. He was from Czech Republic. It was Czechoslovakia at the time. And he, his whole family, I mean, his, I mean, his brother, they were huge, huge hockey supporters and they're hockey players. They knew the game through and through. And obviously, you know, your friends, same age. I mean, we were playing and everything. And he taught me the hockey. He taught me how to play hockey at about like six years old. So really, I learned how to play hockey before I learned how to play football. And he would explain it. I mean, he explained it all the way down to what skates I needed, uh, what pads I needed, what sticks I needed to use, you know, where to shoot when, uh, even how to play goalie. His brother was a goalie for Air Force in West Allegheny High School. So um, they really taught me how to play hockey. And even if it wasn't a driveway and sometimes we would go to stick times on the ice, um, I fell in love with it. And I I always think now, like, you know, if I would have kept with it and I'd have been the size I was, I'm not saying I'm going, I I would have been a Yammer Yager or even a Denny Malkin. I'd probably be a George LaRocque, you know, (laughs) I'd be an enforcer. I think I could be an enforcer if I would have kept playing from, from the age I started when I was about six, so now if I'd have grew, I probably wouldn't be as big as I am now. I'd probably be around 220. I wouldn't be, you know, the bulky football player. I'd be a little slender. But um, I think that I probably could have played in the NHL. Yes. Do you think that that just applies for a lot of different sports for you or, or not just you, but like other professional athletes where they're just so gifted and they have the work ethic and all the intangibles 
that if they dedicated them sport some themselves to a different sport, like if you dedicate yourself to baseball or basketball at a young age and nonstop, that you could have probably had a chance to go pro in that as well. Or does that just apply for hockey for you because you you have a special connection with it? I think it just applies for hockey. I mean, my dad was a basketball player and and he, you know, I'd I'd be out there every day when I was younger shooting foul shots. I mean, a hundred shots a day, and I just couldn't shoot. I, I stink. <laughs> I can't shoot. I shoot bricks. Um, I can dunk, you know, I'm physical. And I think that the physicality of hockey kind of fits my mindset and like football and moving around and being able to, you know, shift my body weight and do things like that and eye and hand coordination. I think hockey would probably best suit me because, uh, you know, basketball, I probably wasn't tall enough, but I do feel like I fit the build of a bigger defensive hockey player. So I think other guys, though, I think like J.J. Watt, you know, he he could skate really well. He, he was a hockey player. So I think that he could translate, but not many NFL guys can translate to NHL. And I, I, I and I think vice versa too. NHL can't translate to uh, NFL. Fair enough. I, I when you talked about the, when you said about the free throws, I just got flashbacks to all the football players and in intramurals. Just these big guys who they can't shoot for anything, yeah. but when they drive the lane, you're just like, take the bucket. <laughs> yeah, get, I don't. I, I'm not taking a charge. This is Division Three intramurals. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, Speaking of college, uh, you had a lot of offers coming. I mean, you were part of – you were the Army – you played in the Army All-American game, uh, highly recruited, and you decided to stay home and you went to Pitt. What was the driving factor behind you playing for the Panthers? Oh, there's a lot, uh, you know, and I, I look back and I and I wrote, actually wrote a, seven, uh, wrote a letter to my 17-year-old self saying thank you for, for doing what I did and being humble and kind of the stuff we talked about in the beginning, having the right people around me and the support that I needed. Um, you know, one CJ Davis, who started almost every game of his career at Pitt, was a year older than me at West Allegheny, who was my best friend. Um, he was an influence of me going to Pitt. Tyler, obviously, Palco was an influence of me going to Pitt. And Dave Wanstead and the staff really um, – I'm going to be honest, uh, you know, whenever you're a young kid you, you and you're a young football player and you go Division One, I, I mean, your eyes are set on the NFL. And in a lot of our minds, I mean, I, I'll go ahead and, and talk for a Jason Pinkston, John Malecki, uh, Elijah Fields, all the guys that I came in with. We saw Dave Wanstead. We saw two things. We're like, hey, we can bring this program back. Or we saw three things. We can bring this po- program back to where it needs to be. We could play in front of our hometown and go down the road and 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 have our family come and watch us play and ball out. And three, we could make this is the easiest path for us to make it to the NFL because Dave wants to came from the NFL. He was a head coach. He has a lot of connections. So those were the top three things that drove a lot of us to go to Pitt at the time. I didn't take any of my offers because I wanted to stay loyal. I committed to Pitt uh, July or June or July of my seat going into my senior year in high school because I didn't want to be a distraction to the season, uh, my high school season, my senior year. So I wanted to get it out the way. Didn't take any visits. But those USC, Florida, Tennessee, Michigan, Oklahoma, Penn State, they all were in my living room the day of signing day. You know, they still recruited me throughout my senior year. You know, they didn't stop. Scott Leffler, uh, Brennan Carroll, uh, Pete Carroll, these guys were still in contact with me uh, all the way through signing day to get me to flip and go to, you know, a USC, a Florida, you know, Urban Meyer would send my mom uh, flowers on Mother's Day. You know, they still recruited me pretty hard, and it was very tough to not – it was enticing to not go and uh, take a visit and probably commit to one of those schools. But I was loyal. 
I love Pitt, and I really thank myself, my young self now, for doing that and, and staying loyal and staying here. Somewhere in an alternate universe, Doran Dickerson was going to college clubs with Tim Tebow and Aaron Hernandez, and that's that's an interesting, <laughs> that's an interesting thing to think about. Oh, um, boy. So you talked about you saw three things uh, when you uh, looked at Dave Wanstat. Um, you missed you missed out on his mustache. I don't know how you didn't see that. Uh, but on a serious note, what did you enjoy playing for Wanstat? Uh, was was he a big influence for you, or was he important to your whole career? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And you know, it wasn't all it wasn't easy. You know, I come come in a blue chip recruit, didn't play for three years, moved around a bunch of positions. Uh, came in as a receiver, then moved the running back, shady commits. Then I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to play running back. Coach wants this says, you don't play linebacker. You know, there's an open spot. We want to get you on the field. So I'm like, yes, that doesn't work out. Move the tight end, uh, play there a little bit, you know, with Matt Cavanaugh. He gets fired, then Signetti comes, and then it was, you know, all history after that. But Dave Watson brought that mentality, like I just said, of the NFL. Our whole structure of practice and meetings and, and workouts were all – from the NFL. So my transition from college to the NFL was very easy, you know, structurally wise and time wise, because that's how we uh, operated in college. And Dave wants to, he treated us, you know, looking back now, you know, you always want, there's about a hundred guys on the team and you always, everybody has a gripe about something and, you know, whether it's playing time, whether it's this, this isn't that looking back and thinking about how Dave wants handled every one of us. I can say that that man, he cared for every single guy on his team, like legitimately cared for the well-being. You know, are you going to class? You know, how are you doing? He actually cared. And that's a tough job to do. You know, that's a tough job to sort out 100 different mindsets, 100 different egos and kids to prepare them for life and to prepare young men for life and to actually care about them. So uh, it was a blessing having a guy like Dave Wanstead uh, as my head coach and his staff that he put around him too, you know, Frank Signetti, like I said, Brian Angelico, guys that I, I played for and you know, Paul Rhodes. Now, these these guys prepared us not only for football, but just for life now. And and I really appreciate, you know, being around them and having those guys around. They definitely prepared us uh, as, as best as they could. And they definitely cared for us too. Would you say Dave Wanstad is the, be- the best Yenzer of all time, considering yeah. – his uh, last name, his stash, his accent, and his resume. Is he, uh, is he the all-time Yinzer? I think he has to be the all-time Yinzer. I mean, he has to have the crown of it. I mean, shoot. You know, right, shoot. We're going to go down to Southside. We're going to have ourselves a beer. Shoot. You know, that's what we're going to do. Shoot. We're going to go down to Nadine's and do that. You know, shoot. What were your thoughts on his exit from Pitt? Uh, you know, and that was, yeah, the year. Uh, so I was in the NFL at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, you know, that was heartbreaking. It was, uh, you know, because you thought you looked at Dave Wanstead how can you get better than a guy like Dave Wanstead? I was thinking at the time, you know, I'm 22, 23 years old. I'm like, all right, so he's a Western PA guy. I went to Baldwin. He went to Pitt, uh, you know, coached in the NFL, bleeds blue and gold. Uh, I-, I thought he'd be there forever. You know, you don't get any better than that as a, as a Pitt guy and as a Pitt coach in a Pitt kind of, uh, you know, uh, face of the university. And the decision of getting rid of him at the time was just heartbreaking for a lot of us because we related to him. And I just, I told you that a little bit ago, you know, the guys like John Malecki, Jason Pinks and Elijah Fields, Nate Nix, you know, Dom DeSicos, you know, we're all from here. And 
we kind of took the same path that Dave Wanstead did. You know, like he was from here, wanted to stay home. It, it, it was important to him to play in front of uh, his his family, uh, go to Pitt, you know, then come back to Pitt and give back. So that was kind of heartbreaking for our lo- us local guys because we saw us in him. And, and you know, it, it it is what it is. It's a part of the business. It happens. Uh, I always say some people make situations a lot tougher than they have to be. They overanalyze situations whenever it's very easy. It's a very common sense situation and common sense answers sometimes. And some people don't make those. And uh, it is what it is. And we're here now. And, you know, the program is, is you know, trying to get back on track. And, and you know, Dave Watson is having a great time, probably down in Naples at one of his golf, golf courses. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a bad alternate. Um, when, you were, when you were at Pitt, your four years, not just football, but basketball was really good too. Pitt was buzzing. What was it like to be on campus there where, you know, the football team, was ranked constantly. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the games you were a part of there and basketball as well. Uh, and you talked about how Pitt, both football and basketball, they're kind of working their way back up to what they once were. But you were there, and for someone who's in his mid-20s like me, I look back, that that was the Pitt heyday of my lifetime. What was that like? No, it was awesome. You know, LaVance Field, Sam Young, uh, even, you know, Carl Krauser, you know, was there. And, I mean, Brad Wanamaker is doing great things for the Celtics. Uh, you know, those guys uh, showed how to play in the Big East and how tough. And a lot of those guys were from New York. And, you know, they were they recruited, they recruited heavy out of New York City and around New York. So uh, it was awesome to be able to watch those guys. But at the same time, it was like, you know, is Pitt a football school or is Pitt a basketball school? And, you know, my time at Pitt, we weren't great at times. You know, my senior year, we were good and obviously laid an egg against Cincinnati. But we always were trying to low-key compete with the basketball team because we wanted to keep Pitt, uh, you know, more of a football school because that's what Pitt was thought of. But it was great that basketball was doing good. But in our minds, we're like, we got to start winning too. You know, we got to we gotta do our, our deal here and pick it up on our side. So uh, it was hard at times, I'm going to be honest, because – you had Pitt basketball being, you know, doing what they were doing. You know, at times they were ranked number one in the country, you know, making it to the sweet 16s, you know, playing at a very high level. And then you had the Steelers who had won two Super Bowls through this is through just my tenure at Pitt, won two Super Bowls. Then you had the Penguins who went to two cups and won one. So we were really low on the totem pole of Pittsburgh sports. And that's hard to, you know, try to get some energy, try to get some excitement in their entertainment going for fans because we had so much to compete with because everybody was flourishing but us. And then my senior year, ultimately, you know, we assembled a good team, assembled a good staff, and we're like, hey, you know, we're going to hold our end up of the deal in the Pittsburgh uh, uh, sports teams and compete and show that, you know, we are pit football. And we did it to our best abilities. I think we finished like 15th in the country. And I've obviously, like I said, that horrible loss to Cincinnati still stinks. All right. Well, before we get to that, let's talk about some good wins. Um, when I say the numbers 13 and 9, what are some things that pop in your head? Honestly, the thing that pops in my head is actually the thing that popped me in the head was batteries and quarters being thrown at me on the sidelines of that game because we were beating West Virginia. I remember getting hit in the head with batteries by fans from West Virginia because we beat their team. I remember seeing grown men crying in the stands because we beat West Virginia that game. And uh, what an unbelievable feeling and what an unbelievable rush that was, I mean, to, to knock off the number two team in the country, uh, for them to not go to the national championship. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I'll remember that for the rest of my life. 
Yeah, it's just unique because you look at certain programs, their big wins that they remember, they're, you know, it's when both teams, in rivalry games especially, it's when both teams are really good and ranked toward the end of the year and there's something to play for. And Pitt has those as well. But that's just such a specific game and memory for Pitt fans and Pitt players, I think, just because of how much was on the line for West Virginia. And quite frankly, there was not much to play for for Pitt, aside from the fact that you could ruin your rival season. And that's exactly what you guys did. So I think that that's just something that's always going to be special to a lot of Pitt fans. It's got to be cool to be a part of. Yeah, it was. And like you said, there was nothing for us to play for. That was our national championship. And to be able to go in there and Paul Rhodes assembled a great game plan. Coach Wanstead, you know, we all were ready to play and ready to do our job of, of beating them. And I mean, it would obviously we didn't do it. We didn't even make a bowl that year, but that was our bowl. We didn't even need to make a bowl at that point. You know, that, that was the end of the year. That was our season. Uh, it was great to be able to beat West Virginia and then follow up the year after that, coming back home and then beating them, too, was big, too. Yeah, so well, let's move on to that year. I feel like that that kind of spark, uh, sparked something because the following two seasons, you were also a really young team when that happened, uh, when that 13-9 win occurred. And then you go into the next year, you have a lot of returning starters. You get some other big recruits to go along with it. And uh, something starts to develop. You were ranked for a majority of the season the next two seasons. Um, and your junior year, not that he wasn't a, a force your sophomore year, but your junior year, LaShawn McCoy just goes absolutely ballistic. Uh, take me through playing with Shady uh, during that, during that what was that, 2008, I believe, season where he just, I think he scored six touchdowns one game against Rutgers or something along those lines. He was just the man. You know, I've known Shady since I was 15. I remember meeting him at the Big 33 game, sitting in the stands, and and I remember introducing myself, and, you know, we were young. I think we were freshmen uh, at the time, and nobody knew of either of us. And, you know, I kind of was just like, basically, look out for me on the other side of the state. And he was like, look out for me on in the middle of the state. So I've um, known Shady for a long time, and it was, a, it was an honor to play with him. But the guy is just born and was born to play football. Like, I've never seen anything like it. The raw talent and the ability uh, that he would he would possess on a field and in practice – I've never seen anything like it. Um, you know, it's crazy to think that a guy like Shady and everything he did, like all the touchdowns and stuff he scored in 2008, then you bring in a guy, a young freshman like Deion Lewis the following year, and he kind of emulates the whole thing, you know. And and then that kind of started the whole trend of, uh, you know, good backs being at Pitt and you know, Ray Graham and, and you had obviously Connor. Uh, so, um, but Shady, I, I mean, he's one of a kind. He's still playing, uh, probably will be a Hall of Famer. He's, uh, you know, a, a big time talent. And it was just exciting to see some of the stuff he did. And I wish, you know, I, I do wish sometimes that I, I was developed enough at tight end to help him. You know, if I'd have had my senior year, whenever he was a junior and when we were juniors before he left, you know, that you know, that adds another weapon to our offense. And that could have opened him up even more. You know, I wish I was used a little bit more my junior to help uh, a guy like Shady out because we probably – would have had an even better record in 2008, but you know, it, we, he, he was unbelievable. He really was. We're going to get right back to my interview with Doran Dickerson, but first a word from our sponsors. Go 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember your breakout game at tight end. I think it was at Cincinnati. Is that is that right? Your junior year, you caught yep. a couple touchdown passes. I don't think yep. you guys won that game. It was did it go into overtime? Is that no, right? It came right down to the end. It was okay. at Cincinnati, and uh, it came right down. To, I caught a seam pass like down the middle, and there was probably like five minutes left, and we got the ball back, and we kind of were uh, you know running hail marys and stuff, and Shady had the ball at the end of the game, so. Uh, we were close in that game, and uh, you know that kind of was. And I, I didn't play the whole. That was the only play I played the game. And I remember, I honestly remember this. I was standing by the heater the whole game, and I was staring at Erin Andrews the whole entire game because she was the sideline reporter. And I was like, I'm not getting in the game. I might as well, you know. Obviously, I'm paying attention, but I remember her standing next to me and just kind of staring at her. And then all of a sudden, they called my my number, and I get in the game and score a touchdown. It's a pretty yeah. cool way to have a how that transpired though. Yeah, absolutely. That, that You should write her a thank you note for the inspiration, <laughs> I guess. Um, so you wrap up your junior year in the Sun Bowl. Uh, I just got, what, what the hell, man? Uh, yeah. Three, nothing. What was, what was that? What was going on in that game? I remember there was a lot of wind, if I'm not mistaken. And there was a lot of like missed kicks and neither team could get it going offensively. What, what went on in that, in that Sun Bowl? That was just a bad week. I mean, it was a bad week all around. Uh, you know, we, we were down in, in El Paso, Texas. You know, it was one of our, it was the first bowl game. Uh, you know, I mean, guys like me had been to. So, um, you know, we, we, we enjoyed our time throughout the week. I'll, I'll leave it at that and probably enjoyed it a little bit too much. And it, it showed in the game. It was three, nothing terrible game. Uh, you know, it was just, everything was bad. It was just a bad week. Uh, my grandfather, my grandfather is a uh, pit alum and, um, he was a minister for over 50 years. It was the first time I ever heard him swear. Oh, I was watching that game. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah. So we move on to your senior year now, and you kind of break out. Uh, you you finished the year at an All-American, and Pitt as a whole has a great year. Um, there was, like you mentioned, there was a point late in the season where you were top 10 in the country, um, a tough loss to West Virginia, and then you follow that with, a devastating loss to Cincinnati. Uh, I, I, I don't like to open up, you know, old wounds or whatever, but can we talk about the Cincinnati game a little bit? And and while it was a tough loss, it was still just an awesome overall game, just the back and forth, and the ending was unfortunate. But playing in that game has to be something you'll never forget. And, and the only thing that I really always will remember about the game personally is that in my junior year, and I talked about C.J. Davis playing for West Allegheny. He was a year older than me, and we were number one in the state my junior year in high school whenever he was a senior. And we went into the third rounds, uh, the semifinals of the playoffs to go to Whippeals, and we play West Mifflin, and they just squeaked into the playoffs. They weren't very good. I think they were like four and six, and they ultimately beat us by one point to go to Whippeals. And like I said, number one in the state. I mean, one of I mean, one of the most horrible memories I have as a player. I remember fast forward, we're at Cincinnati. We're up what 31 to 10, I believe, something like that at halftime. Deion Lewis is going off. And I'm I'm a rewind. Sorry. I'm gonna rewind. So I remember at halftime in my junior in high school, uh, we weren't playing too well. And I remember sitting there and I remember looking around. I was like, I really hope that this isn't the last time I play with these guys, like, you know, we have to really go out there and, and, and make sure that we close this game out. Talk about my junior high school. Now fast forward 31 to 10 halftime against Cincinnati. We're in the locker room. And I remember looking around, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a senior in college in college and being like, man, I hope this isn't the last time 
you know, that I have to stand here. And I hope that we go out there and take care of business to get to a sugar bowl. Like we better figure it out because I don't want this to end just like it did my junior in high school. And it ultimately did lost by one point, my junior in high school lost by one point uh, to Cincinnati. And that's really how my career went as a player. You know, I never really got to the big dance. I never won a championship. Uh, I always fell short. I mean, obviously by one point and I will always think, I always think about that feeling that I had at both those half times and how they felt exactly the same and how it really was exactly the same. So it is what it is, but you know, it is, yeah, you know, that's uh that's life. Did you ever just go to someone on the sidelines and say, Hey, maybe we shouldn't kick to Marty Gilliard. I would now, but I mean, you know, I didn't think that that, you know, you don't think that that's going to happen. Yeah. You, you, you have all the momentum and you, you're you doing things right. And then all of a sudden bad things start to happen, you know, a fumbled uh, extra point, you know, snap on the extra point. And then, you know, you kicked the Marty Gilliard and then our, our passing plays weren't working. Nothing was working. And Tony Pike, you know, is, is on point and throwing the arm on bids on the sidelines and bad coverage. So, you don't think that that stuff's going to happen at any point. And then if it does happen, you're like, all right, we're, we're still good. Like, we'll still respond. We'll still figure it out. And then as time keeps ticking, 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 then the game's over and you don't figure it out. And you're sitting there with, uh, you know, a heartbreak. And you never think that something like that's going to happen until it happens. So to kind of show a silver lining of that, though, after that loss, did you look around in the locker You talked about looking around the locker room. And if you looked around, you would have saw – Sheard, Bynum, Lewis, Baldwin, Pinkston, Romeus, Hynoski, Street. I mean, these are all NFL guys. Uh, and you talked about earlier when you came into Pitt, you're like, we want to build this up to be something. You kind of did, didn't you? I mean, it, 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 I'm sure you had higher aspirations than going to what would you guys play in the Capital One Bowl? Uh, mighty, mighty key car care bowl. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so that, I mean, yeah, you, you'd hope to do better than that, but. Being a consistently ranked team, having a ton of guys go to the NFL and all that talent, did you feel like part of your time at Pitt was kind of a success and building that foundation a little bit or no? Uh, uh, yeah, a little bit. I, I think the pipeline for Whippeal guys was, you know, at probably an all-time high then. Yeah. Um, we cared about our, we cared about Pitt. We cared about playing for Pitt. But, you know, it goes to the, you know, it goes to the situations now, you know, same old pit is what people say, you know, even last week, uh, whenever they played, uh, NC state, same old pit. And that's what people were thinking. Then whenever we lost to Cincinnati, same old pit. And to me, it frustrates me because we could have got over that hump. We could have broke that mold of same old pit then. And we didn't because it, and, and now that's how people perceive pit, you know, anytime there's a loss, same old pit, you know, same old pit didn't have enough to win the game, same old pit. So we had a chance to break that and we didn't. And, you know, we'll always be remembered as the team that lost to Cincinnati and Marty Gilliard. Um, but all in all, yeah, I, I guess that we changed it a little bit, but we didn't change it enough. We didn't, we really didn't change it enough. We didn't do what we had to do to close it out. Uh, you know, we fell short. And like I said, that's life, but you know, good teams and people in, in, in team uh, changing and, and program changing teams, they close games out like that and they win and they go to the Sugar Bowls to play Tim Tebow and the Florida Gators to compete, you know, and we did it. So it is what it is. You talked about the Whippeal pipeline. Um, I feel like when you were in high school or even the years before and after you, all the big Whippeal guys, they were going on the pit. And when I was in high school, that was the same thing. When I was in high school, I played against Russell Shell, 
He was the biggest guy in the state. He went to Pitt. Played against Tyler Boyd. He went to Pitt. And you don't necessarily see that as much anymore. It's starting to get back to it a little bit with Elliot Donald. Um, But Pitt's playing a guy on Saturday, Phil Jakorvic. is a huge recruit, and they couldn't land him. Uh, They had a guy in Western Pennsylvania a couple years ago, Jerry Porter Jr. His dad was literally working in Heinz Field at the time, and they couldn't land him. Why is that? Why why has the pipeline, the Whippeal pipeline for the Panthers kind of slowed down a little bit? Um, I, you know, I think the talent in the Whippeal has slowed down too. You know, I don't think the talent's as good as it has been in the past, you know, in the last 10 years. Um, there are some guys, but there's not a lot of guys. Uh, it seemed like, I mean, if you look at my Fabulous 22 team um, in 2005, I think everybody on the Fabulous 22 went Division One. I. I mean, you know, there wasn't guys going to you know smaller schools. Like everybody had a D1 offer, and I don't feel like kids. A lot of kids have D1 offers now. They're good, and I'm not taking anything away from them. But I don't think the talent is as good as it once was. So I think the and from a recruiting aspect, it's like all right, well, you know, we know that there's a pipeline here, but the the talent isn't as good. So let's try to go to Ohio or let's try to go to, you know, back down to Florida or North Carolina where the, where the talent might be better in a certain area. Um, I think that might be a reason why uh, for on the recruiting aspect, but for kids wanting to go to Pitt, um, it's, that's a tough one because it really just comes down to winning. You know, you know, you, you can beat Clemson, you can beat Penn State, but, you know, consistently winning. And, you know, I am, you know, I'm a culprit of this too. I just said it. Uh, we didn't change it. You know, we didn't change the dynamics. And maybe if we beat Cincinnati, everybody would be going to pit right now. You know, we didn't do our, our end and we didn't seal the deal. So I think winning cures all. If you if you have a winning program and and you continue to win and it's consistent, kids will want to come to pit, whether it's from Whippeal or Ohio or California. Kids will want to go to Pitt. You mentioned the lack of talent in the Whippeal compared to when you were playing, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. I I, I kind of noticed that as well, where growing up and even when I was playing in high school and when I was in college, you would go on the ESPN 100 rankings and you would see at least two, three, four Whippeal guys in there. If not Whippeal, you'd see some Airy Cathedral preps or you know programs like that up north. You don't necessarily see that anymore. However, what I will counter is there are a lot more high-end high school basketball recruits in Pittsburgh compared to when we were growing up. High high school baseball as well, just covering it. There's been kids committing to Vanderbilt and Mississippi State, programs that are like the Alabamas of college football. Do you think that the, the athletes in Western Pennsylvania are just the best athletes are just choosing different sports now? That's a great point. That's a really good point. Yeah, probably. You know, I mean, you know, after everything that's going on with football, with concussions and injuries, you know, hey, I, you know, I, I'm going to try to groom my kid to play baseball. You know, look at a guy like you just said out of the Whitfield, Austin Hendricks, West yeah. Allegheny guy, you know, gets drafted. You see that you're like, oh, well, I'm going to I'm going to train my kid to play baseball. A kid that's there now, Gavin Miller, he's committed to Auburn. Uh, that's at West Allegheny. He's a quarterback. I'm you know, he's going to play baseball. Uh, you know, so I think that the I think it's shifting. I think everything's shifting to other sports and to less contact sports. Parents are getting afraid of their kids and going in there and, and seeing stars and 
and maybe possibly having a concussion. You know, that is a serious issue right now. Not as many kids are going out to play football. A lot of kids are playing flag football and, and eliminating the whole contact aspect of it. So, you know, that's a great point that, uh, you know, there are athletes still in Whippeal. They're just playing other sports and good for them. You know, if that's what you want to do, then then go out there and, uh, you know, give it your all in playing those sports. But, uh, you know, there was a time where Whippeal was flourishing. I mean, like you said, the All-American game, the Army All-American game that, you know, I played in in 2006 with Nate Byam. Uh, you fast forward two years later in 2008, you had three Western PA guys. You had Jonathan Baldwin, you had uh, Lucas Nix, and you had Terrell Pryor all on the East squad. You know, there's three of the best in the country that came out of the Whippeal. So, you know, we don't see that anymore. We don't see that from uh, Whippeal players. We don't see that from the talent around here for football. But I, I really, I'm really on the same page as you. Yeah, God, kids are playing other sports. Do you, do you want your kids to play high school football? Uh, if they want to, uh, okay. it doesn't. If Would they, they be if allowed? Yeah, 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 definitely. You know, the, the things that I learned from football, uh, you can't teach in any other aspect of life, really, in my opinion. So I think learning wise and, and figuring out about yourself, um, you can you can get that through football. And those are life lessons that, you know, you'll always remember. So uh, if they really want to play, yeah, they can play. If they don't, I, they, that's fine. They can do whatever they want as long as they're the best at it. Take me through your process of getting into the NFL. Your seventh round pick. You said you were drafted as a receiver, even though you played tight end in college. Um, I assume that was kind of just a size related thing. Maybe I don't know. Uh, what was? How was it marketing yourself? And take me through the process of. You played with guys that were first round picks. You weren't that, but what was it like on draft day, the combine, everything? Yeah, it, it was it was a little rough for me. You know, I went to the combine, ran a four four flat, fastest tight end ever uh, to this day still. And uh, you know, I'm getting you know rumblings in my ear from my agent saying, you know, you're going to be a you know, high second round pick, this, this, and that. So you know, I'm preparing myself for a lot of things. You know, where am I going to go? This is going to be great. Then draft day comes, and second round, I'm best available on the board. Third round, best available on the board. Fourth, fifth, sixth best available on the board. And then, you know, at that time, you know, I, I was like, why wouldn't it be like this? I remember telling myself, why wouldn't it be like this? Of course, I'm not going to get the easy way out. I didn't get the easy way out when right with the pit, you know, I had to grind, I had to figure it out. It wasn't easy. My freshman, sophomore or junior year, I had to figure it out. So this makes sense. This makes sense. And then my phone rings. It's the Houston Texans in the, in the seventh round. And they're like, we're going to draft you. We want you to play receiver. We want you to play behind Andre Johnson and learn from him. So I'm like, all right, well, let's do it, you know, and I go down there and play receiver for a year, learn so much from Andre Johnson and Kevin Walter, who was the second receiver on the other side, uh, had a lot of great teammates there. And then, you know, I, I was still kind of growing, you know, I, I wasn't a big tight end in college, but I still had the frame to put on weight. So I was still kind of putting on weight. And I just felt that the way I ran routes and the things that I did at tight end in college best suit me. I'm not an outside receiver. Um, and you know, I, I was, I got picked up my next year by, uh, new England. They're like, we're going to move you to tight end. And I was like, thank you. And then ever since then, five years after that, I played tight end every single, uh, year, but you know, it was tough going through the whole, uh, draft day. The draft process was awesome because, you know, I had all kinds of positive things coming at me, but, uh, the draft process uh, of the whole three days was just, I mean, it was grueling. I mean, I had a draft party and, you know, I mean, we're all sitting there and nothing, nothing, nothing. So it was tough. And you didn't get in trouble or anything, did you? Like there was no, I'm trying to remember. And if I forgot about something, 
you didn't want to talk about or whatever, let me know. But there was nothing like attached to you, right? What just size? Just they didn't know where to put me. They didn't know if I was a tweener. They said, you know, too small to play tight end, too big, and and not fluid enough to play a receiver. Um, but like if I came out nowadays, I mean, yeah, you know, I'd be you know bona fide, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I kind of was a little bit before my time, but um, you know, it, it still worked out. Ended up playing six years uh f- figure out my way every single year doing everything the hard way like uh i expected it to be and it, it, it still worked out i played a lot more years uh than a lot of first round picks i'll tell you that yeah and you played with some some pretty pretty legendary guys i mean you mentioned playing behind andre johnson in houston you go to new england you're in the same tight end room as gronk uh you had a you know, a little bit of time in Pittsburgh when they had some superstars there. Um, were you in Detroit with Megatron? Yep. Yep. So you were yep. with Calvin Johnson. Um, how how cool is it? I guess. I, I mean, you're a fan of the game. I, I mean, I, I I know that about you. Uh, just working in the same places as you before, and obviously you can't be like a fanboy. They're your teammates. But getting to work with those guys, work next to those guys, were were they giving you pointers or were you just kind of sitting in the back watching what they do and trying to learn? Yeah. See, the coolest part about that is actually having the access to ask the questions you really want to ask, you know, like, you know, once those guys feel comfortable around you and they know that you're your teammate, like I, I, my whole life, I have no problem with asking people questions. You know, I have no problem. If it's a dumb question, I don't really care. It's a question that I want to know. So the fact that, you know, being around Andre Johnson every day and just asking him how he thinks, you know, I would, you know, Tom Brady, I'd be like, you know, what do you, like, how do you approach every single day? You know, little things like that. And him, you know, one-on-one being able to tell me those things, I just took, you know, I thought it was so awesome to just know how these elite players think, because maybe I need to change or fine tune how I think, you know, Calvin Johnson, I'd be like, you know, what are you thinking on that route? And what do you think I should do? Because I'm running it a little bit different than you do, but obviously you're the best and you probably see it better than I do and him being able and I, me having the access to have a one-on-one conversation with him and him legitimately telling me what he's thinking. I mean, it was unbelievable. And the best person I got to do that with was uh, Larry Fitzgerald, you know, and I would fly out um, my rookie year to Minnesota and train with him, stay at his house and we would train. And I just had all that one-on-one time with one of the best receivers in the game. You know, that that speaks for itself. You know, that helps you out so much as a young player to be able to be around somebody like that and to pick their brain, not just about like just football, but just everything. You know, how, you know, you approach life. Like, what do you eat every day? You know, stuff like that. It was just so cool to be able to to pick guys' brains like that and to be able to use that as a player for myself. What would you say your favorite memory uh, of playing in the NFL was? Favorite memory. It wasn't personal, but whenever Andre, well, it kind of was when Andre Johnson beat up Cortland Finnegan. Finnegan. Yes, that was my rookie year. And then I, and he got kicked out of the game and I got to go in for the rest of the game for him. <laughs> I was his backup. And I remember, I mean, I stand there signs. I mean, he beat the mess out of him too. And I remember them kicking him out. And I was like, yes, I get to go in. Yes. And I got to end up finishing the game. So oh. that was the best memory. Everyone remembers that, and then you have a totally different memory. I mean, I, I remember when that happened. Uh, we were watching the Steelers, but they do those CBS cut-ins, yep. <laughs> and the, and I'm like, 
what that was a two yard run play. Why are we watching this? And then you just see them just throwing each other's helmets off. And Portland Finnegan had the Paul E.D. Yeah. the short haircut, it looked like, and they just beat the snot out of him. But then Doran Dickerson gets his his call to the big leagues after that, huh? Yeah, I mean, that, I'll never forget that. And I remember going in the locker room, and Andre, you know, I remember seeing him at his locker, and he was like, Hey, they can find me all my all I want. I'm the highest paid receiver in the league. And I was like, wow, all right. And that I was that character for him too, wasn't it? Because he wasn't like a hot-headed guy, was he? He was no. pretty quiet. Yeah, he what was I quiet. He was quiet. Courtland Finnegan was just getting under his skin and you know, just you know, being cheap. And it was that was very, very out of character. And Courtland Finnegan got what he deserved. I know that because Andre Johnson's a bad dude. He's a bad dude, obviously. Yeah, I, I yeah. he proved it there. Um what was it like? I, I You didn't get a lot of time with the Steelers, but you did get an opportunity to play under Coach Tomlin. Um, compare him to, to and, and Belichick, for that matter. Uh, did you notice a ton of differences in how they conduct their business compared to the other places and coaches you played for? Yeah, just the structure of, of everything. You know, the structure of, you know, New England was, you know, I mean, everything was just boom, 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 boom. And you covered every single situation that you could see in a football game every week, you know, and Belichick was so ahead of everybody because he would anticipate what we would see in the game. So if we were playing, you know, the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC championship game, like he was like, all right, it's a Friday practice. You know, we're going to cover this situation. We're like, why are we covering that? And just for some reason, he anticipated this happening in the game and it would happen. And it would be like some outlandish situation. Like, all right, they're going to put like eight dudes, eight offensive linemen on their kickoff return, and we're going to cover that today. Like, he would, it would be something ridiculous like that, and then it would happen in the game. So that's why Belichick is so good. We would cover every single situation in a football game, and it would happen, and we would be prepared for it. And I think Mike Tomlin is like that, too, uh, to the fact that, you know, he get, has a great feel for defense, obviously, and he has a great feel for a football game. Uh, and, and and I think that really good coaches, they don't really – they don't butt in. And they, when I say that, they don't butt into their D coordinators that much. They don't butt into the offensive coordinators that much. And I think that the success that Mike Tallman had early in his career, he didn't butt into the defense. He knew defense. He knows it better than mostly anybody. But he didn't butt into Troy Polamalu or Ryan Clark or James Ferrier – he let them do their thing, and he let them see the game and let them handle it. He didn't butt in on the offensive side with Ben Roethlisberger or Jerome Bettis or, you know, Willie Parker or Heinz Ward. Like, he let them do their thing. And being a head coach, it's very tough to do, but that eliminates everything else, and it, it puts a lot of onus on you being the head coach, and it gives you that freedom of just being a head coach, of kind of just exiting that, yeah, overseeing everything, but – you can just focus on being a head coach. Let the coordinate coordinators coordinate and let the players play. He does the best job, I think, in the league out of anybody of letting that happen, and that's why they've been successful, you know, at least early in his career. So football's over now, um, and you talked about in the beginning of the show how you like to do a little bit of everything. Uh, you and I have crossed paths just doing media. What has the transition been like going from – on the field to in the press box or in the radio studio or TV studio, wherever you're at, um, how would you say your transition to media is gone? And what are some challenges that you've faced while doing it? Well, it, it's, it's gone really well because, you know, I don't really want to coach and I've invested a lot of time as a player. So coaching, you invest even more time uh, being a, a football coach. And obviously I can't play anymore. So this is the best happy medium for me 
to be involved with sports, to be involved with football, but not have the stress of playing it or coaching it. And I really get to express my own opinions about the game and my uh, experiences about the game and, and tell people and bring people inside of, you know, how I think kind of how I talked about with like being around Larry and being around Calvin Johnson, being around Stevie Johnson, Andre Johnson and, and, and Gronk and, and Tom Brady, you know, I, I got to get inside their heads a little bit and I want people to be able to get inside my head. Like what would Doran think whenever the Steelers are doing this, this and that, what would Doran think? And for me to be able to explain it to you, what I am thinking now, you know, um, you know, kind of how the process was of me approaching a game or whenever I was in a two minute drill, this, this, and that. And, you know, I try to do a great job of explaining it to people and showing them how, you know, to break it down and, and how to watch things and look for things and a different lens instead of sitting there on the couch eating popcorn and cheering whenever somebody scores, like look for this, look for that, you know, look for these matchups. So it's been good on that aspect. And there's, there is a lot of challenges. I mean, I had absolutely no clue what I was doing. I really fell into just doing radio. I, you know, I went to school for communications, but um, fell into doing radio, you know, so, uh, talked to Larry Richard. He was like, yeah, I think you'd be pretty good. Did radio. And literally next week I was on air for three hours, had no clue what I was doing. So the challenges have just been learning on the, on the fly. You know, nobody's really taught me it. I just been, you know, asking questions. Like I said, I'm not scared to ask questions and learning on the fly. And I still have so much more to learn, so much room to grow. Um, but I do love it. I mean, how can you not I love whenever the camera's on? I love whenever the mic's on, whenever it's on air and it lights up. It's just it's the same rush I would get whenever I'd be in the red zone and knowing that I was going to run a corner route on a slow safety and I was going to score a touchdown. That's the same feelings I get whenever I turn the mic on or the t or the cameras come on from doing uh, media stuff. Do you get that feeling when you uh, tweet out the Steelers draft pick before everyone else knows about it? Do you feel yep. like Woj then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I always enjoy it. I just remember that that started probably like what, like three or four years ago? Yeah. started yeah. doing that. And uh, after like the third or fourth time, there were multiple people just going, Doran, ha Doran knows. Doran, yeah, yeah. These aren't guesses. He knows what's happening. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. That's, that's always one thing I enjoy about following you on Twitter. Doran, where can people find you on social media? Uh, at score and Doran on Twitter and Instagram and then Doran Dickerson on Facebook. So yeah, I'm on all three of those platforms and uh, yeah, I, I tweet out, you know, usually during the weekends for uh football stuff and uh, don't follow anything I tweet out with betting wise because I stink. Yeah. Uh, I may think I'm confident and be like, Oh, this is a lock. Don't, don't listen to me. Trust well, me. Well, Hey, I have a gambling show as well. Maybe you can make some ghost picks on that. Noah's no doubters. We do that as a weekend show. If you want, I can, we can throw it to you for a segment. Maybe we can have a weekly occurrence with, uh, with score and Doran. Sounds good. I'm show. in. All I'm right. In. Sounds good. Doran. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, everyone give him a follow on social media and thanks for listening along to another episode of memory lane.